Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com slash support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this podcast, you will hear inspiring testimonies, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Wherever you're listening, we hope you lean in, listen closely, and be blessed. What is heaven? Contemporary culture provides a variety of views, from pearly gates to sitting on clouds, strumming harps, and wearing wings. Different world religions offer an array of descriptions that often characterize heaven as a place of perfect peace and happiness, absent of pain and suffering, and the place where God dwells. But what does scripture say? How are believers to understand heaven? In this episode, we will learn what the Bible says about heaven and what Jewish people understand of heaven. We will also discuss how an understanding of heaven can help our faith as followers of Yeshua. Joining us today is our guest, Dr. Daryl Bach, who is the Executive Director of Cultural Engagement and Senior Research Professor of New Testament Studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he's a returning guest. So Dr. Bach, welcome back to our hope. I'm glad to be a veteran of foreign wars. Thanks. (laughs) It's great to see you here. I'm excited for today's episode. It's going to be a a bit of a lighter topic, I hope. We did an episode on hell this season. Um, Last week, we recorded an episode on spiritual warfare. So this one will hopefully be on the the brighter side. A little cooler topic. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, before we jump in um, our icebreaker for this season, we retired the food question. So we just wanted to know, what are some of your hobbies? What do you do for fun when you're not teaching? Um, Well, I'm on the road a lot and teaching a lot, so there's not a lot of that time. But basically, I take a break by paying pretty good attention to global sports, not just the sports that, you know, a normal American would connect to, but paying attention to what's going on in India with cricket or with uh, uh, Aussie rules football in Australia, maybe a little rugby in New Zealand, uh, that kind of thing. So I can, I, I tease my wife. I can on a Saturday. I could start out at two in the morning if I wanted to to connect to the sports there in uh, Australia, New Zealand, and really go all day. And oh, so, wow. uh, yeah, I, I have teams in a variety of leagues. I follow soccer in German league in the Bundesliga, and then in the premier division in the UK. So I can work my way around the globe, much like church happens on a Sunday. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
What team do you cheer for for the World Cup? Oh, for the World Cup? Well, I'm a I'm an American fan. I'm, I'm a U.S. fan for the World Cup. Um, but um, I'm, in cricket, I'm an India uh, a fan of India. Uh, in the Bundesliga, I'm, I root for Stuttgart. Uh, in uh, the Premier Division, I'm an Arsenal fan. I'm a big Sydney Swans fan, men or women's Aussie rules football. So yeah, so it's a huge variety of, of teams. I'm um I can be in any time zone and follow a sporting event. That's not hard for me to do. Oh, that's awesome. Well, it sounds like you're very cultured, and we know that you are the director of cultural engagement at Dallas Theological Seminary. Can you share a little bit about what you do? Well, basically, we're uh, I host a podcast and have organized a podcast. It's actually hosted by a variety of people out of the center. And uh, welcome to the table. We discuss issues of yeah. God and culture. We've done over 600 episodes, wow. uh, right at 600 episodes over the last 10 plus years. And we cover anything and everything. We've done multiple episodes on sexuality, LBGTQ issue. We've done multiple episodes on issues tied to race and justice. We do, we're thinking about the application of scripture. We do apologetics. We've done a study of the Nicene Creed. I mean, it really does roam all over the place. We've done a lot of stuff with how to raise your family in the context of discipleship. So it's a, it's a, it's a wide ranging set of topics that we pursue in the, uh, in, with the podcast. And then I do a series of presentations related to cultural engagement. A church really doesn't have a theology of cultural engagement. Mm. It needs one. And so I'm in the business of trying to make churches aware of what that should look like uh, in a context which is as highly polarized as ours is, trying to remind people that people are not the enemy, they're actually the goal. And so we want to encourage them to come into a relationship with God by how we interact with them. That's awesome. And that reminds me a lot of just any movies I've seen about mission work in maybe the 19th century or the 20th century. I think a lot of people were struggling to figure out how to engage with other cultures in a way that is respectful and not um, discounting the other cultures, would you say? Yeah, it's an important part of, of doing it. It's also important to understand as you share the gospel where people are actually coming from. I tell my students that when you're engaged in evangelism in a society like ours in which 30% of the population self-classify as not having a religious affiliation, so they are a member of what is called the nuns, that's N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so they don't necessarily have a church background, that there are several things that you're sharing where they don't even have the cat may not even have the category for what has to be assumed in order for them to understand what you're saying. And so those tend to be four key questions. Does God exist? Does he speak? Um, the uniqueness of Jesus, who, what other religion claims that the creator God has become incarnate? And, um, are you accountable to, to this creator God, whether you realize it or not? Those are four questions, all of which are assumed in what we share in the gospel, but people may not actually have categories for to process what we're saying to them. So how do you build your relationships with them in such a way that you can get them to begin to think about categories they may not even have? That's awesome. And I'm sure a lot of the people that you engage with have ideas about heaven, and it seems to be something that pops up in various cultures around the world. And so that's a nice lead into today's topic. 
Um, Dr. Bach, how would you say heaven has been defined in religious and secular circles? Well, I think we have uh, romanticized heaven and we spend a lot of time thinking about what it's like, what the place of heaven is like and Mm. what the experience of heaven will be like when we get there, that kind of thing. Um, I'm going to disappoint people because the Bible does not spend its time in that space. Um, The Bible handles heaven in a completely different way than the way we tend to speculate about it. So whether you're thinking about pearly gates or Peter being your great, you know, a spiritual greeter when you get there, or the way in which we're going to um, live within the pearly gates and wonderful accommodations that would make five star hotels jealous, you know, however you think about that, um, none of that is what gets discussed in the Bible. What gets discussed in the Bible is more um, heaven as as a location or a place from which God functions and less about it as a place where we dwell. In fact, heaven is said to come to earth in the Bible and even the new Jerusalem in mm. the book of revelation is said to come down from above to the earth. And even though we're said to be citizens of heaven, that's because the rule that we're connected with comes from the God who dwells in heaven, not necessarily because we, should think about ourselves going to heaven in, in that kind of a sense. When we enter into the kingdom of God, we enter into the rule of God and the way in which he engages with us in relationship. Uh, and, and and so uh, heaven is a place where blessing comes from rather than a place that we go to. I'm very curious, Dr. Bach, what do you think about those books like 90 Minutes in Heaven or Heaven is for Real? Do they have any truth to them? Well, to the extent that they talk about being connected to the creator God in relationship and what that means, yes. But the speculation of what comes around it is exactly that. It's speculation. It's filling in gaps that the scripture itself actually doesn't describe. You know, I ran through the many, many verses in the Bible um, before this podcast, just doing a survey. And there's literally almost nothing that describes what heaven is like. You do get the passages in Revelation that describe it in relation to various jewels and that kind of thing that give give a sense of splendor Mm. about what heaven is like and the presence with God and how bright... uh, the existence is because of the glory of God, that kind of thing. But beyond that, you don't get much. And so um, that that's the interesting part is, um, is what we tend to want to fill in is actually what's not uh, discussed in the text. That's interesting. And so if scripture doesn't give us a lot of clues about what heaven looks like or how it is, how would you say heaven is viewed within Jewish culture? What does Judaism teach about it? Well, in Judaism, and again, now I'm thinking primarily about the Old Testament. In Judaism, there are a variety of things that are said. I mean, God is the God of the heavens. He looks down from above. He is the creator of the heaven. He speaks from heaven. He lives in heaven. He dwells there, uh, that kind of thing. So it's similar to what I'm describing about the New Testament. In fact, there are far more passages that mention heaven in the Old Testament than there are in the New. Uh, 
but uh, but again, it has to do with the place where God resides. It's the idea that God is above us, uh, watches over us, that kind of thing. So if you want to think of God kind of being on this mega mountain, okay, mm-hmm. high above, looking down, um, that's the way heaven is generally um, generally portrayed. And then and then the scripture talks about uh, God coming down to us, to engage with us, and that kind of thing. Angels come from heaven to engage with us, that kind of thing. So there's very much a a, a two-realm picture, but it's not, uh, it, it, it's not one in which uh, our earthliness is ever uh, totally obliterated. So you mentioned that the Hebrew scriptures actually tell us more about heaven than the New Testament does. Would you say any of the information is different between what the two testaments say? No, I think the New Testament assumes um, the backdrop of everything that's said about God being a God of heaven, looking down from above, et cetera, engaging with us. The kingdom is sometimes called the kingdom of heaven, but what that means is, is the kingdom has come from heaven. Uh, in the parallels in the other gospels where you get kingdom of heaven in Matthew, you get kingdom of God in uh in mark or in luke so uh, again heaven is the place from which god operates heaven is the place in which spiritual forces reside that god uh, sends our way the angelic forces and that kind of thing it's more about a location than it is a description of what it's like and it certainly isn't portrayed as being our destiny to go there, we're connected with heaven, but we mm. the idea of going there is a is a different idea that actually is never quite expressed in the Bible quite that way. The closest you get to it is the idea of entering the kingdom of heaven, which but that means entering into God's rule and God's presence and God's power and God's enablement and God's provision. So even that doesn't have a location attached to it as much as a function that's performed on our behalf that is directed from heaven. So it's more like we can actually experience heaven on earth. Is that what you would say? There's an element of it in which we get what we go through when we're saved with God being present within us in the spirit, etc. It's kind of a preview on a, on a low volume okay, of what we experience with God. When we get to the consummation, we get to the end when, when restoration is complete, that volume will be turned up, uh, and and so so we get a foretaste of what's coming, but it's only it's only like putting your toe in the water. It's nothing compared to what is to come. We'll be right back. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, "I am the light of the world." He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. John 8, verse 12. As believers, we want to follow our Messiah and be a light during these dark times. We pray others will see his light and follow him as well. Please help us continue to serve Jewish people and proclaim the good news of Messiah in Israel. Your support will go toward relief work during the war and providing hope to Israelis from all walks of life, including Holocaust survivors and children. Your gift will also contribute to building our Tel Aviv Messianic Center, where we will create a haven for people seeking refuge and hope. 
To support us, visit chosenpeople.com slash be a light. That's chosenpeople.com slash be a light. Join us to shine your light for Israel today. So what does Jesus teach us about heaven in the Gospels? Well, he tends to talk about the kingdom of heaven. And so we have kingdom parables that describe what the kingdom is like, um, that kind of thing. Uh, there's a stewardship that comes in being related to the kingdom of heaven. Uh, there's a responsibility that you have to be responsive to God. Remember, I raised the question earlier, we're accountable to God whether we recognize it or not. And so the kingdom of heaven is one way to talk about that. He talks about the kingdom of heaven being a mixed, having a mixed, um, how can I say this, a mixed audience until until it's purged and the righteous are separated from the unrighteous, that kind of thing. There's a claim that the kingdom of heaven makes on all people, whether they recognize it or not, that kind of thing. And then there's the relationship of those who are connected with God by faith that prepares them for, for not only their current presence in heaven, but what is to come and the righteousness that they'll be a part of in the end. So those are the ways in which Jesus talks about Really, he talks about the kingdom of heaven, which is another way to say the kingdom of God. Isn't there also a verse where Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is within you? What does that mean? Well, it actually doesn't say the kingdom of God is within you. It says the kingdom of God is in your midst. Mm. Uh, And that difference is a big deal because that remark is made to Pharisees. So Jesus wouldn't be saying to Pharisees who have not responded to him, the kingdom of God is within you. He'd be simply saying, the kingdom of God is in your midst. In other words, you have the chance to respond and be a part of the kingdom of heaven because I'm present. That's really what he's saying. And so it talks about access and the availability of the kingdom to people. But again, they have to embrace it by faith in order to get its benefits. I see. So it's more like the invitation is open. If they want to receive him, they can experience the kingdom of heaven. Exactly right. And it's available. The point that the point of the kingdom of God is in your midst is it's available. In fact, in fact, he did say it's in your face. I mean, it's right here. You need to re- you need to respond to the opportunity that Jesus provides. That's the point that's being made. And thankfully, that invitation is open to all of us still. Exactly. So when Jesus talks about storing up treasure in heaven, is he not referring to the eternal rewards program where we we reap all the blessings of what we did on the earth to obey God. How does that work? Yeah, and First Peter talks about a treasure that's reserved for us in heaven as well. It's the same idea. And so the point, again, heaven is a place from which blessings emanate. Heaven is a place where God resides and we are connected to him. And so um, the accountability for our stewardship that we have before God not something that for a believer is a matter of salvation or not, but but simply an evaluation of how they've walked with God. Um, that's something that uh, that Jesus encourages people to um, to add to their account, if I can say it that way, and that that does await us in, in one way or another. And then there's the Bama Seat Judgment in 1 Corinthians that talks about the wood, hay, and straw being kind of purged away, but that which is solid metal will be preserved. And so, yes, so these are texts that talk about um, our connection to heaven and the fact that uh, the judgment about these things comes from heaven, 
for us and that we store up an account in heaven for the way in which we've responded. But it's not the idea that we're that we're going to heaven in that sense. Although there is another passage that's a part of this conversation, and that's the one with the thief on the cross, mm. in which the thief on the cross says, make sure that I'm a part when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responds, today you will be with me in paradise. Yeah. Which is, I think, a way of saying you will be aware of the blessing and the connection you have to God today. That's a very comforting verse that you brought up. And I think that's also something that I cling to as well whenever I feel afraid of dying. That there is something waiting on the other side. That God is still going to be there. Yeah, and it's very profound. It's very profound. It's a completely different kind of existence and a completely different kind of context in which uh, the things that we struggle with because we live in a fallen world will be, uh, eventually will be done away with. Amen. So in light of all this, understanding that there is something better and that the kingdom of heaven is in our midst, how does Yeshua's view of heaven inform the way that we should live our lives today on earth? Well, we're supposed to be, as I said, we're supposed to be experiencing a preview of what that's like, and we're supposed to be modeling what that preview looks like. And so I tell people that the church is supposed to be an audiovisual of the character and presence of God in the way its community functions, in the way we live in the midst of people, etc. So all this drives us to the call to, you know, Paul says, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And when you're imitating Christ, you're reflecting the fact that you're made in the image of God and you're made to image God. You're made to image his character and what he cares about, etc. That's the calling and an understanding and appreciation of the security that we have because we know God and we're in his hand means that we don't need to be nervous about being that kind of a person. So how do we bring heaven down to earth, so to speak? How do we live out that kingdom culture? Well, um, we live out the character of God. We image God. We take the fact that we're made in God's image for relationship with God to reflect who he is and what his character is about and what his presence is like. And we're supposed to be showing those things. And that brings heaven to earth. In fact, that is uh, part of what we pray for in what is often called the Lord's Prayer, although I remind people it's really the disciples' prayer. Mm. It's the prayer the disciples pray for one another. It's also a plural prayer. It isn't something I pray about my um, relationship to God. It's something we pray for one another about how we're walking with God. And in the midst of that, there's the prayer that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so uh, there is this. One of the things that you see in the Bible is there is this. How can I say this? This conjoining and harmony between heaven and earth mm. that is a part of the end that the scripture is aspiring towards because of the dysfunction that exists in a fallen world. It's the contrast of that. And that's a lot to look forward to someday. Yes, exactly. So when we want to share about Jesus with others, especially with the Jewish community, how can a conversation about heaven be helpful? Well, I think the advantage that you have in conversation with the Jewish person is that they they understand uh, who the God of Israel is. Uh, they understand what it is to be made in the image of God. They understand the exhortation that we were called to, you know, fill the earth and subdue it, that we were made to, to, to steward the creation well and that kind of thing. And so 
a conversation about who God is, you know, a lot of the a lot of the pieces are already in place to have that kind of a conversation. And then the conversation should be about the aspiration of spiritual things and spiritual uh, wellness and righteousness and justice and those kinds of themes, all themes that are literally running through the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, and then from there, um, getting to the point of recognizing, well, we don't quite live up to those aspirations in the way that we ought to. We come up short. There's an understanding of sacrifice. There's an understanding of sacrifice for sin that exists in Judaism, etc. All the table is set. And then the the only piece that is the challenge, of course, is the idea of saying, well, and God has sent his Messiah to do for us what we could not do for ourselves and to provide a way that we can't provide for ourselves. And, of course, there's so much... I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to describe it this way. I'm being descriptive. There's mm-hmm. so much pride in being Jewish that sometimes that pride can get in the way of a need of a Savior, a need for a Messiah who delivers, who delivers me as opposed to my seeking to deliver myself. And so getting, getting that train on the right track is uh, part of the conversation that eventually you're going to have in, in wrestling with why God would need to send a Messiah who isn't just a conqueror and doesn't just bring righteousness, but actually fixes the sin problem. That's right. As you were talking, Dr. Bach, I remembered um, in Hebrews, it talks about the heavenly tabernacle. Would that also be a helpful thing to bring up in this conversation? Could be, uh, you know, the idea that uh, that there is a model for what Christ did in what takes place or what took place in the temple and what is to take place in the context of the worship of some of the feasts. When you contemplate why you have certain feasts, that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, that certainly could be a, a segue in. That's awesome. As we wrap up this episode, Dr. Bach, um, I do have one question left for you, and this is a personal one. Do you have a testimony about your journey in relation to heaven and what we discussed today? Well, you know, uh, it's interesting because for me, the issue of salvation isn't so much about what the future holds, you know, and thinking about what heaven's going to be. It had to do with making sense out of this life and where God has me now and understanding what it means to be a human being, why there are created human beings, what is their calling, what are they supposed to do? I tell people that for me, when I talk about salvation, particularly with people who are a little more secularized, I'll say uh, salvation is really about location. Uh, It's making sense out of who you are. If you listen to people who don't have a relationship with God and they're trying to make sense out of life, they'll say things like, I'm trying to find myself. Okay, and there's a little piece of humor in me that goes, well, I thought you were here all along, you know, <laughs> but uh, but we know what that means. They're trying to make sense out of their life. They're trying to figure out why they exist, what's the purpose of life, those kind of basic core questions. And for me, my journey with God was about making sense out of out of my life. I had, I had lost my mom when I was 14. Uh, my father passed away while I was in college and just making sense out of life and what the point of it all was, was pretty important. And I found that a response to Yeshua and to the message of the gospel gave me location, made sense, told me who I was, 
told me why I was here, what I'm supposed to be about, how I'm supposed to relate to other people, I'm connected to the God who made this creation, how I'm supposed to appreciate the creation that I'm in, and also recognize uh, the flaws that exist in the creation because of the way we tend to treat one another, that kind of thing. So, so my salvation experience wasn't, you know, if you died today, would you be sure you'd go into heaven? It wasn't that question of it. I was just trying to make sense out of why I was standing where I was, you know, on that particular day and what that meant. And, uh, and my faith provided the answers for that question. Thank you for sharing that, Dr. Bach. Well, we have a lot to think about here, and uh, I'm looking forward to listening to this episode again and digging deeper into what heaven is and how to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So thank you for being on this episode with us. Absolute pleasure. Heaven is real. It is the realm our Messiah Jesus left to lay down his life for the world. And yet, it is not just a faraway realm. Yeshua's earthly life and ministry revealed what heaven is like, and he taught his disciples to do the same. As followers of the Messiah, we are blessed to know this truth. It reveals how much God loves us and how good he is. So let us live focused on what is eternal, knowing that the kingdom of heaven is among us. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Let us know how this podcast has moved you. We would also love if you can share it on social media with your friends and family. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope, featuring Dr. Daryl Bach. This episode was produced by Nicole Vaca, written by Grace Swee, and edited by John Bautista. This episode was also created thanks to Dr. Mitch Glazer, Fernando Mercado, Robert Walter, Rachel Larson, Nathan Scherer, Kyron Bautista, and Samantha Rodbell. I'm Nicole Vaca. Until next time.